Lord, we thank you that you're good. You're good all the time. Even when things don't feel good to us and they don't look good when bad things are happening. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that your love never fails. We thank you that you love us. You care about us. And Lord, I pray now as we come to your word, Lord, and I pray for each person here, Lord, we have different things that we're coming here, that we've come through this week with, concerns, deep concerns in our lives, in the world around us, in our family, in our friends. Lord, we need you and we need to hear your word for, for those things even when the night is holding on, that we can hold on to you and that you will hold on to us and to the situations we're in. Lord, we, we ask for you to speak now to us through your word. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. If you, some, we have some new people here. Glad to have you. And for those of you who are back, we're glad to have you too. We are in our year of increasing trust, our second year of increasing trust, since we didn't get it all done the first year. Um, but there's lots that I'm still increasing in trust. We finished Genesis, we're moving on into Exodus. So we talked last time about injustice and response in chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus. We looked way back at how rebellion against God produced injustice and bad relationship with God and between people and from families to society to ethnic groups and nations that have bad things between them. But God promised something to Abram that he would be a blessing to all those nations, that God would build a nation out of him that would be a blessing to all those nations. We saw last time how God had blessed them, made them fruitful and multiply, and they were there to be a blessing, but they were actually being cursed by Egypt and the powers of Egypt and what was happening. And the dark, difficult thing that that was in, we asked a couple of questions. Um, where do you feel oppressed? Where do you feel pushed down? Where do you feel like, where are you, God? Why is this continuing? Why is this um, weighing on me? Or maybe it's on others around you. Um, in our world, what injustice bothers you the most? So we talked about that. Um, I hope you can remember what you thought about last time. Because it may be that in that, in that what's bothering you, is part of the answer to what we're talking about this time, which is what is God's call to you? Now I sent out to those of you who are on, on our email list uh, an assignment to think about what's God's call to you, if you have any questions about that. And um, then, and we'll talk some more in the two group afterwards, but um, I hope you read Exodus 3 and 4 because that's where we're going next. And again, pick up those things in the back. They have some questions to think about each week. The next week we'll be going through chapter 7, I think it is. Um, and uh, please be reading so that you're chewing on this through the week. Um, but we're looking at God's call to bring justice. We looked at these last time. These are pictures from the time of Egyptian slavery. Now, it's not exactly the same as 
the slavery we had in America, the slavery we had in America was actually worse in the sense of people being owned and sold. And, but it was forced labor, intensive forced labor they had to um, do because the powers insisted on it. Um, not that that doesn't happen other places, even in our world today, that people are stuck and locked into situations. Um, so I want to talk about noticing and responding to injustice. We, um, seeing, hear, hearing, and knowing suffering. So we saw how God rescued a Moses from the uh, decree that he was supposed to be killed, and then he, um, he did something unusual. He was, um, we saw last time, he was adopted by the, uh, he was an adopted kid, adopted by the princess of Egypt, and, but he was raised for a few years by his Hebrew mom, and so he had a little bit of an identity crisis. He wasn't quite sure if he was Hebrew or he was Egyptian, and he made a choice at about 40 that, actually, I'm going to identify with the Hebrews, even though they're the oppressed under I'm going to identify with them, with those who are suffering. And <clears throat> when he went out, he saw some injustice, and there was something in him that made him want to do something. So it says he saw um, something happening. He, saw, he watched them at their hard labor, it says. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So he killed the Egyptian. He had something in him that wanted to do something about that injustice. Um, then... He tried to, the next day he went out and he was trying to solve the dispute between some Hebrews and they said, are you going to kill me too? Well, turned out, uh-oh, he was found out, so he had to run away. And there he was welcomed as a foreigner by the Midianites. He wasn't welcome with the Hebrews and he wasn't welcome with the Egyptians, who we thought he was. So now he was welcomed, given a wife and a job with his father-in-law. Um, so Moses is a little bit unsure who he is. Is he Egyptian? Is he Hebrew? Is he Midianite? Um, and he spends 40 years, is he a prince or is he a shepherd in the wilderness? So he spends 40 years in the wilderness, this 40 years of, yeah, what was that like? Um, and what happened to the dreams that he thought or the things that he thought he might get done in those 40 years? 40 years watching sheep. Um, he had, I think he thought that it was kind of probably the end. That, okay, so that was that and this is, this is it. You know, most of us, we start out with our career plans, right? And they're going to go like this, right? And then it turns out they kind of go like this and then around there. And, uh, or our, our whole life, right? doesn't quite turn out the, the way we thought. And I don't know what he was thinking um, during those 40 years, but actually God was preparing him. Right? Psalm 77 says God shepherded his people and he shepherded them through Moses and Aaron. He was preparing him to be a shepherd. Are they going to spend 40 years in the desert? He had prepared him to be a, get all the training and the wisdom of the Egyptians so he could, he could code switch. He could talk Egyptian beautifully. He could also talk Hebrew and Midianite, and he could do it well, and he could be a good shepherd and a good prince, and he knew a lot of those different things, but he didn't quite know inside of himself who he was. So um, he could be anything to anybody. He could do the chameleon thing, but he didn't know who he was for sure or what his call was really. Um, some of you that way? Maybe you're adopted, or maybe you're between worlds, or maybe you're, um, you know, you grew up in northern Minnesota like me, and so you should be sort of a rural white Minnesota person, but you spent 20 years in Africa, so you're not sure if you are. My, my kids are really confused. Um, I felt bad they didn't get to grow up in northern Minnesota. They're like, 
Small town, northern Minnesota, thank you, we grew up in Africa. Because um, that's home for them. So they're a little confused too. Some of us are a little confused about who we are. And identity is a big thing. We're going to get to talking about identity in a bit. But, um, oh, and then there's some birds. I don't know what they have to do with anything. But um, we'll uh, keep moving. Um, so Moses identifies with and acts for the suffering and, um, but then the end of chapter 2 we talked about last time. So get out your Bibles. We don't really need that because um, we have our Bibles in front of you. And um, if you look at your Bible, chapter 2 of Exodus, second book in the Bible, chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. Oh, good. That's what we think, Right? Get a new president. Get a new king. It'll all be better. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. It didn't get better. The powers were still the powers, and switching the person at the top didn't change it. Um, the policy didn't change. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And remembered his covenant with Abram, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and knew, is what the word actually says, and knew. The meaning is kind of what it says there, and was concerned about them. Concerned about their slavery. Remember, it talks, this word know is going to come up a lot. So, so Joseph was the, was the one who had helped out Egypt so much, but there was a new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And later when he goes to Pharaoh, he's going to say, I don't know who Yahweh is and who this God is. But here, God knew, as in he personally knew. Remember, remember Adam knew Eve and they had a baby? I mean, this is not just like intellectual knowledge. This is experience. He experienced their suffering. He knew their suffering. Okay, we're back on, huh? Um, So he's identifying with and acting for sufferers. So both Moses and God did this, but the difference was when people, when they cried out to God. Prayer, crying out to God, makes a big difference because God responds. Now, prayer doesn't work, in case you wanted to know. But God works when we pray. Um, so it's all about God's work. We, we don't actually, you know, if you're looking for the magic formula that's going to make things happen, doesn't work that way. But when we cry out to God, he does hear. He works. And it, he says he worked because of his covenant with Abram. Remember, we talked about it. he's going to make him a nation, bless the nations through him, curse those who curse him, bless those who bless him, um, give him lots of descendants. But let me remind us of another time in Genesis 15 when God showed up. There was a heavy darkness that showed. And then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. They're not bad enough yet for me to destroy them. They're bad, but not bad enough. God is 
patience. Um, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Now he had divided this carcass into a couple of, uh, divided these animals to make a covenant. The idea being that um, if I don't keep this covenant, I'm going to end up like these animals, cut in half. And God, in the form of a flame, goes between these carcasses to ratify this covenant. And so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the, and there's a long list, Amorites, Canaanites, Canaanites, and all, all those kind of folks. It's already occupied, but it belongs to God. And God is giving the current tenants some more time. They haven't been paying their dues. They've been paying injustice. If you look at what the Canaanites ed ended up doing with lots of child sacrifice and idolatry and ritual prostitution and all kinds of stuff, they it was bad. Um, and it got worse. But God is patient. He's merciful, but he's also just. Are you glad that God's patient? Are you glad that he's just? Are you glad that he's patient with your enemies? Ah, one person is. Are you glad that he's just with you? Okay. So most of us wish God would be just with our enemies and patient with us. Right? God is patient as when he's going to deliver the Israelites. It's going to take a real curse on those who are cursing the Israelites the Egyptians, and he's going to give them time. He's also going to be judgment when they come into the promised land on these nations that are there. But God's giving them time, and he's patient even with those who we see as our enemies. Are, are we sure we're okay with that? Um, it's tough when things are tough for us, when we're crying out and things are painful. Um, so let's pick it up in chapter 3 now. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, or Sinai. There the angel of the Lord, or the messenger of the Lord, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Remember the flames back with Abram? And we're going to see them again lead him through the desert and coming on the tabernacle and lighting up all of Sinai. But he appeared, Lord appeared in a flame of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't burn up? You know, a lot of us, it just starts with some curiosity. Well, what is with that? Right? God's call to us, God's call to conversion and to what we're like, What's going on? How come that? And that curiosity can turn into a, a call. So he goes over there. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Uh, here am I. Would you be a little surprised? You're out in the desert miles from anybody and somebody who knows your name calls out. God knows your name. He knows your history. He knows 
all you've been through, your struggles with identity, your ups and downs in your career and your family and your marriage and your relationships and all that stuff, God knows. And he knows your name. And Moses responds, here I, here I am, like a, like a servant. Here I am, Lord. Um, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he's like, really? I thought it was just the desert. This is holy? I've been by here a lot of times. But because God's presence is there, it's holy. It's set apart. It's sanctified. It, it, it just means it's separated for a special purpose. Um, and so this land is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. How much did Moses know about his father? Something. But anyway, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Keep in mind that for these people, that's a long time ago. So this is like the God of Augustine and Luther and Wesley. I mean, that's whoever they were. But uh, how much did the people know? We don't know exactly how much they had hung on to. Um, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remembering that covenant. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Smart move. Because you might not be able to look at God and live. It says other places, right? The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I know, or I am concerned about their suffering. They've been 400 years. Not sure if God is seeing anything, hearing anything, but yet they have cried out to him, and he has noticed. So I have come down. You remember Joseph said, God will visit you. And bring you out. This is that same word. God is visiting them um, and rescue you from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Like he told a long time ago, 500 plus years ago, to Abram. He's not just rescuing them from delivering them from, he's delivering them to. It's not just out of serving, but it's into serving, into serving God. I want you to notice something quick here. Worship is the foundation and the goal of bringing justice. Remember, it started with not relating to God well. This bringing justice, just, you know, Moses tried, right? He did his best like he could, and it didn't go very well. He didn't get much accomplished, did he? Maybe even delayed things. Um, but on his own, he didn't get much accomplished. But worshiping God at this place where God appears to him, and God takes the initiative, God responds to the prayer, but he's taking the initiative. And they're going from the burning bush, and he's going to say, back to worshiping at this same mountain. Now, the mountain's not actually on the way. So, well, but the purpose is for them to worship. They're being freed so they can worship and serve Yahweh. So, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And Moses is saying, their cry has reached me. Great, 
Yahweh is paying attention. Finally, something could get done, right? You've all been watching the news. You've been seeing your own situation. You're like, where is God? What's going on? Why doesn't somebody do something? And then the next thing he says is, so now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Oh, um, well, um, let me check my schedule. Um, I wanted somebody to do something about this is a terrible situation. Um, but um, who am I? That's, that's Moses' question. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Um, first of all, before we get right into that, I wanna, want you to just make the connection with Jesus because there's all kinds of connections to Jesus here, right? How long did Jesus spend in, in the wilderness? 40 days. Like Moses spent 40 years. Like he then led the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness to meet with God, to face temptations, to struggle with those situations. I mean, Matthew especially is showing Moses as, Jesus as Moses all the way through, and, and a lot of the others as well. Jesus himself, like Yahweh, um, in Matthew 9 says, when he saw the crowds, the crowds is actually a, uh, a word for the poor there. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He knew them, he felt them, and because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, like leaderless people. We, ha we have a, a big need for good leaders in every area, right? This was actually the sermon that Chester Wood, who I'm using some of his stuff for this, preached on my commissioning. He said, you know, Africa needs good leaders in every sense. There's a lot of people harassed and helpless because they're like sheep without a shepherd. That's Shepherd is often talked about as the, as the king. It's not just the shepherd, but it's the, the leader. Um, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord. Cry out. How many of us, when we see the news, cry out to God? And how many of us go on Facebook and go, oh, goodness, this is terrible. Has Facebook ever done anything for you? Has God ever done anything for you? Cry out to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. So it starts with prayer, but then the next chapter 10 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness, and he sent them out. So Jesus, they were, they were having fun watching him teach and heal people and cast out demons, but then he said, okay, now your turn. Um, so he sent them out. So Moses has some questions. When it comes to God's call for you, any questions? Any questions about what you should be doing right now, what major you should be doing, what job you should who you're supposed to marry, who you're supposed to, whether you're supposed to stay married for some of you? Uh, what about your kids? What about if you're going to have kids? What about um, your parents? What about your neighbor? What about any any questions? I don't even uh, I don't have to fill. I think you, you can probably tell me some of your questions. Um, 
So Moses has five things he says to God. God answers his questions. His first question, who am I? Now, identity is the hot thing in our world, right? Um, I don't know how we got identifying ourselves in certain ways. I'm not a heterosexual, but somehow I got identified that way. I am white, and somehow I'm always identified that way. Uh, I'm, I mean, in other okay, when I say I'm not a heterosexual, you mean to say, well, you must be homosexual then. Who made those identities? How do I get labeled by my desires or my temptations or my whatever? Um, but everybody's about uh, racial identity, ethnic identity, and all that's, you know, fine. We're all looking for identity, right? And a career. I, I could call myself, well, you know, pastor, missionary, um, worker, successful, unsuccessful. What, what, we're trying to look for, you know, husband, wife. What, what is it? Who am I? Right? Everybody's trying to figure out who am I. So here it is. Moses, as we said, was pretty confused about his identity. Is he Egyptian, or was he a failure, or was he a success, was he a shepherd, or a prince, or a... Who was he? What is he supposed to do? Whose people was he? So what is God's answer? Here in verse 12, 3.12, And God said, so Moses said to, to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So his real question is not only who am I, but who? <laughs> me? Why would you pick me? Surely there's got to be somebody better than me because I've messed up. I mean, the Egyptians don't like me. The Israelites don't like me. Well, who am I? I, I? I can't even go back there. What's God's answer? He doesn't say, oh, no, you're pretty good. You know, you actually, I've been preparing you. He, he could have said a lot of things, like we probably would have said. What does God say? And God said, I am with you. I will be with you. The answer to my identity is not me. The answer to my identity is God. Who am I to do what God's called me to do? Well, if I'm looking at me, forget it. God answers, I am with you. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You all will worship God on this mountain with those people. Um, now that's an interesting kind of sign because it takes a while for him to show up, right? So, but as they're going out and seemingly wandering around, Pharaoh says they must be lost in the desert, so he goes out to capture them. They, they, and they go, like, seems like they're supposed to go there. You know, I, I, I did a trip from Jerusalem to Cairo, took me a day on a bus. And we went the direct route. We didn't go down through Sinai and back up again. Um, it's only a day trip. Took them 40 years, but it's only a day trip. It wasn't supposed to take 40, though. But they took the long way, and they ended up at this mountain because the point was to worship. The point was to find out who they were before they entered this new land as a people. So, the point was to become God's people. So he says, I am, I will be with you. Moses 
He's, of course, satisfied and says, all right, let's do it. No, that's not kind of how it went. Um, he's got another thing. Um, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they say, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? I, I don't know enough. I don't think they're just going to accept me like that, actually. Um, I don't know enough. Who are you? You say, I am, but who are you? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, okay. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh. It's the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And as you read that, you're saying, what name? This is my name. Which name? Because what our Bibles do is they take the name Yahweh, and they replace it with capital L-O-R-D. So, um, first of all, that I am can be translated or understood a lot of different ways. Um, I will be who I will be, or maybe I am who I will be. I will be who I am. In other words, there's something about God's faithfulness. I will be who I am. God's consistency. There's also something about his being actively present. It's not the I am like, I think, therefore I am. I mean, okay, God is self-existent. He doesn't need to be created. That's, that's all true. But it's not like this just existing, like some kind of Greek super god. All right? It's actively present. It's that he's going to, I will be who I'll be. I'll be revealed through my words and my actions. As, as I will be, I, you will find out who I am. And so this four letters with no consonants in Hebrew, of course, Hebrew didn't have consonants, is Yahweh is probably how it's pronounced. And in our Bibles, it's, it's that, those four letters. And a lot of times, you really should read Yahweh whenever you see Lord. Because a lot of times it doesn't make sense. Like, this is my name forever. What, what name? Well, it's the name of Yahweh. So God... Yahweh has a lot of titles. He's called, you know, um, God, Elohim. He's called El Shaddai, the one who put, you know, a lot of different titles. But there's only one name that's given. Of course, the name of Jesus is Yeshua saves. So Yahweh saves is the name of Jesus. But, um, and in fact, this is the name for the whole Trinity. The whole Trinity is here. Jesus answers in John 8, 58. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even before born, I am. They understood him because they picked up stones to throw at him. They said, that's blasphemy. You're calling yourself the I am? They were ready to kill him because they knew exactly what he was saying. And John makes this point other times. He says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. Jesus is really claiming to be Yahweh. They got it. They did not appreciate that at all. That's part of why they killed him. So, um, 
But this name is used a whole lot. It's interesting, in Exodus, it hasn't been used for the first two chapters. But now in chapter 3, it's used. And so Yahweh is a, a variation of the verb to be, I am. It's taken off of that I am. So, um, so let's read on. Go assemble the elders of Israel, the bearded ones. I, I'm working on it, see? This is, uh, uh, it's also cold. So I uh, figured if I was going to preach about Moses, I should try. But um, go call the bearded ones. Go call the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God, do you see that? It says the Lord, but it's all capital letters, which means it's really Yahweh. Say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. He's been watching. And I have promised to bring you up out of the misery in Egypt into the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised, he's re-promising what he promised to Abraham. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to Yahweh, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hands and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. We'll talk more about the hand of justice in, in a future sermon. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you'll not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor in any to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. They're going to get their back pay for all these years that they've been slaving away. So God gives a long answer to his question of, what's your name? And he reveals, but it's, it's amazing that God actually, I mean, God, the creator, has not only shown up, but he's given his name. You, you don't do that, right? Somebody calls you on the phone and says, hi, I'm calling from the whatever, and what's your name, and what's your, what's your social security number, and what's your uh, email, and what's your phone number, right? You, you give your name out that quickly? No, but God is actually telling them who he is and who he's going to be, who he will be, giving them his name. Now, because of the fact that this was the name, and there's a law to say, don't misuse my name. Um, the Jews and Hebrews were very careful to not say the name. So they actually put letters above it to, to hint, don't say that, say Adonai. In other words, say Lord instead of um, his name. So then when the Septuagint was translated, they put in the name, well, the title, Lord, instead of that. So therefore, um, when you get to the New Testament and it talks about the Lord, or for example, the Lord Jesus, it's reflecting that Greek translation, the Septuagint, where the Lord was used every time for the name of God. So that's why it's hard to know. In our Old Testament, should we put the name in and say Yahweh? 
but then it would miss the connection to the New Testament where every time Lord is used, it's referencing back to all those names of Yahweh. And then also, when we say Jehovah, that's kind of a mispronunciation of the same thing. Using those letters for Lord, Adonai, that were above, if you, may, if you say it that way, you say Jehovah. Um, Yahweh, I mean, Yahweh is the guess we have. Of course, nobody was pronouncing it much, right? So that's the best guess we have of how it should have been pronounced. You can use Jehovah if you prefer. His name is important. Because he is not, there's lots of gods out there. This is the creator God. He's given his name to Moses. So Moses has another question. What if they don't believe me? He has reason to believe they might not. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? Of course, God did just say he would, they would listen to him, right? But what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, Yahweh did not appear to you? See, there was trust needed in Yahweh, but also in Moses and his leadership. Um, of course, does Moses really believe? So Yahweh said to him, what is in your hand? Says a staff. Yahweh said, throw it on the ground. Moses said, I like my staff. My staff is the only thing I have in this desert. My staff has fought off a lot of wolves. My staff has helped me with my sheep. I picked this staff and made it particular with this crook so that it's my staff. And the Lord said, throw it down. So he threw it down. And it became a snake. And he ran away. Because it was a snake. And then God says to him, pick it up by the tail. And he says, are you from around here? We don't pick snakes up by tails. We don't pick snakes up, period. But if you're going to try to pick it up, you grab it behind the back of the head. You pick it up by the tail, it's just going to bite you. God says, pick it up by the tail. And Moses picks it up by the and it becomes his rod. Or, says later, the rod of God. When he throws it down and gives it to God, that little bit that he had became God's. Became the rod of God. And then he says, the Lord says, this is so that you may believe that Yahweh, the God of, of reach out. Um, this, says the Lord, is so that they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then he says, put your hand inside your cloak. And then he brings it out. It's covered with disease. Ah! The disease that... And then he puts it back, and it's healed. God has power. God has control. Of We're going to talk more about the snake and some other things. But remember, Amun-Re was the symbol the snake on the forehead of Pharaoh. And he goes on and says, you can also take water from the Nile and pour it on the ground and make it blood. The Nile was the lifeblood, the, the, another of the great gods of Egypt. And so God has got power over Egypt, over death, over life, over health, 
over nature, over creation. And these are signs that point to God's power. So now Moses says, um, well, that was impressive, God. Uh, really impressive. But the thing is, I don't, I don't speak, speak too well, really. Notice that this is not actually a question. We're shifting here a bit. Um, Moses is changing the interview and uh, telling him why he should not hire him. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. You didn't fix all my problems. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Anybody ever said that? Well, when God asked you to say something, you said, why me? Why not the pastor? He's good at those things. Or why not my boss? Or why not my wife or my husband? And then, I, I don't know enough. And, and what would I say? And would people believe me? And I, I actually am not a great speaker. In, in public or with my family is even worse. Um, I, I wouldn't know what to say. And I don't say it well. So it's, I'm just going to mess it up. Any of you ever had those thoughts? Um, I have them just about every Sunday. Um, I, I'm not really good preacher, God. <laughs> um, you're going to have to show up. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. I am with your mouth. Is actually what it is in Hebrew. I am with your mouth. I made your mouth. And I didn't make it perfect. Even if you'd like it to be perfect. Wouldn't we all like to be perfect? Um, God knows about the deficiencies we have. And he's aware of that already. Even before he asked you to do what he wants you to do. God is aware of your weaknesses. But he says, now go, I will help you and teach you what to say. So whatever you're saying, I, I can't do that. God's saying, I will help you. I will teach you. Here's the strange thing is, God, Moses tried to do something by himself, right? He got nowhere. So they cried out to God, now God is ready to do something, but God chooses to do it through you and through me. I don't know why he tried to mess with messy stuff like us, but he did. He is limiting himself to Moses. And even as Moses is asking, oh, what about this, what about that, God is patiently answering his questions, saying, I, I get your insecurities, I know you have lots of problems, I know you think you're too old. I know you think you're too young. I know you think you're a woman. You can't do it. You're a man. It's not right for you. It's, your identity isn't perfect for this. You're not the right color or the right background or the right education or the right... I know. 
I made you that way. In fact, he's made Moses through this strange career of his exactly who he wants him to be. But without God, nothing's going to happen. Right? And God has made you exactly who he wants you to be. And he's dealt even with your failures and worked in, you know, Moses has some leadership qualities here. First of all, he's not ambitious in the way he used to be ambitious. He's got a different kind of ambition. And at the same time, he's persevering. Even in the face of God, even in the face of a powerful person, he's going to need that when he gets to the Israelites and Egypt and Pharaoh. He's going to need to be able to say, no, but, and he's going to need to keep pushing. There's some leadership qualities that are even showing up in this discussion with God. God knows who he's got. He knows his weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your history. He knows your real identity. And he knows what he wants to do with you and through you. So Moses finally gets to the point. But Moses said, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. You know, he, in Hebrew, he does this really nicely. Oh, Lord, you know, I, I think that you really would be better off if you, you really nice flowery statement. Please send someone else. Here am I. Send someone else. Aren't we all like this? Comes right down to it. You know, there are some real problems in our world. Somebody ought to do something about that. You know, there's issues in our church that uh, they ought to be fixed. You know, I just read, uh, and you can, you can read this. Anyway. I read a, a, a blog by a millennial, um, you know, 12 points. It was very instructive about why, um, why the church needs to change. Because uh, there's only 2 out of 10 of us that are there, and 30% th of us don't like the church. And if you don't do something, we're all just going to sit on the couch and watch podcasts. So you better do something. And I'm thinking, but it's your generation. Why don't you reach them? If your generation isn't coming, you do something about it. Now, thanks for the advice to us. We'd like to help. Show us how to do it. Because, yeah, we're, we don't get it. We tried with our generation, and that's part of the problem with your generation, actually. <laughs> if there's a problem is the problems with our generation, right? But we don't need to be blaming other generations. And even, let me not say that in a way that sounds like I'm blaming millennials. Um, it's not somebody else's problem. In this church, you see something that needs to be done, do it. If you need some help, come to one of the elders and say, hey, I've got this great idea and I want to, and you know, we'll give you a chance to come up here and say, anybody else concerned about this? You don't have to wait for the church to do it. Who is the church? You are. We are. As this millennial is saying, you know, I don't know about the church. Whether I'm like, you're in. You are the church. So thanks for pointing out things and thanks for challenging us, but let's do it. There's problems with the church. 
It's us, right? It's up to us with God to do something. If there's things we need to change in society, but God is with us. So how does God react to Moses? Yahweh's anger burned, it says. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. So God's okay with your questions, your insecurities, your bringing him. I mean, it's amazing to me. Think about it. God has this long dialogue with Moses. And he limits himself to Moses. He decides he's going to use Moses, and he, he negotiates with Moses. Isn't that amazing that God's willing to negotiate with you? Um, and he even accommodates. He changes his plan because of Moses. So he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. So God's already, he's aware of what's going on. But he's, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you were, he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. So God actually adjusts. He's adjusting to the sins of the Amorites. He's adjusting to the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. He's adjusting to Moses' questions, insecurities, and problems. God actually, even though he's in charge of everything, is also adjusting. It's human responsibility and God's sovereignty put together in some mysterious ways. But God is working. Now, here's another question I got. Why is Moses so reluctant? Is it just because he was a failure? Is it because he got old? Because he gave up on his dreams? Or what is it that really, um, and this is from Chester Wood, um, here's what he says, why Moses is reluctant. And um, he says in the previous situation, Moses was a trusted insider. He was prince of Egypt, right? Now, he's nobody. In fact, he's a hated criminal, felon, murderer, outsider. And the Hebrews likewise say, who made you a ruler and a judge over us, right? He was powerful. Now he's powerless. He was trying to make things happen on an individual level. You shouldn't be doing that. And he tried to fix things. Now he's talking about a national level. It was a personal evil. This guy's beaten up on that guy. Let me fix it. Now it's structural evil. He's going against the whole system of Egypt. All the powers, the government, the economics, the gods, the religion, everything about Egypt, he's confronting. And let's be honest, most of the injustices that we're really concerned about are not just personal evil. They're structural evil. You want to deal with racism, it isn't just like, be nice to other people who are different colors than you. There is structural evil. That means that a third of the 18 to 30-year-old African-American men are either in jail or on probation or parole. That's something wrong with that. There's structural... We can, I, we can go down the list. Whatever your injustice is, if it's the health system, if it's the, um, the economic system, if it's the uh, abortion, if it's whatever your 
It's a structural evil. The way that the U.S. and other countries relate, the way other countries relate to each other, the way that ethnic groups in your home country relate to each other. It's not just an individual that you can change. And it's not secret. Well, let me just kill this guy and it'll be okay. This is public. This is, you know, Pharaoh will never know about it. No, this is going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Yahweh says so. So God's call includes charity, includes development, includes evangelism, and includes bringing public justice at the structural level. Anybody reluctant to take that on? I am. I can counsel one person with their mental health issues, but I probably can't, actually. Um, but the structure that's setting up people to have depression, that's, how do we do that? Well, we don't, by ourselves. That's why we need God. So what's God's call to you? Go see, know, identify with the suffering. Get in there. Watch the news, but don't just watch the news. Go visit the jail or visit the, you know, have people over for dinner. Hear the story. Whatever it is. Um, how can we do that? And then cry out to Yahweh. Pray. He hears. He acts. Ask him for clarity. It's okay to ask questions and say, you know what? I don't know how to do this. Let me be honest. I don't know how to do this. Even what I'm doing now, pastoring, I don't know how to do it. God doesn't do it <laughs> for all of us in this church. Um, and where you are, what you're doing, I don't know how to do that either. And you know what? Moses wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. Okay, he was a shepherd, I guess. But um, he wasn't, so this isn't a religious, secular thing, God's call. Sometimes you talk about God's call as if it's only something in the church. Right? You're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a missionary. Whatever you're doing, what is God's call in that? Whether it's career or your family or wherever, your relationships. I got a new call this week. Um, sorry to say that to you all, but um, my wife got a job. To uh, Hey, amen. So Um, she's, gonna, she's going to uh, supervise eight nutrition educators in the Twin Cities. So feeding the hungry, helping people have good nutrition is now my call as a support to her call. Um, she's been doing great at working on the calls we've had together. So that's an important call. That's why we said let's do this. Whatever your call is, my point is, it's not just about pastoring or missionary or Sunday school worker, something in the church. The church is God's answer to the world, but the church, not just when we're here together singing songs, the church when you're out there. God's people being a blessing to all is God's answer. He's calling you. He's calling us together. So we need to obey. In the end, um, Moses does obey. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter because uh, time's up. I am 
also because there's this really confusing thing about circumcision there. I don't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> if you did your homework, you know why I'm not reading the rest of the chapter. Um, but we'll have a discussion group. So um, the point of it is Moses has to obey, and so does his wife, and so does so his son. The point is I am is with you. God is saying to you, I am with you. So you're looking at something and you're saying, I can't do this. Yep. Of course. If you're looking at something and saying, I can handle this, you don't have a big enough vision. God's got bigger things than you can handle. If you're just doing the stuff you can handle, well, there's more God wants you to do. Um, you might need to spend some more time listening because you really want to just do what you can do? Or do you want to get in on what God is doing? Moses did his little thing and it was nothing. But when he teamed up with God or God got him on his team or however we want to put it, they did something amazing. And you know what? God's call to you is amazing. Not because you're amazing. Because he is. And he can do stuff way beyond. So you're looking at your situation or the situation around you and you're saying, this is so bad. This is so impossible. This is so hopeless. This is so unjust. This is so wrong. God, do something about it. And he's saying, yeah, let's do something about it. Together. You and him, but not, in the end, it's not really individual, right? Moses is just, as an individual, going to call the people to be who they're called to be. We, as a people, can do something that none of us can do individually. There's lots of nice people out there, but where's the community that really loves each other? cares for each other, brings justice together. A diverse community like this that does that would have to be God. Even for us to get along with each other, it's going to have to be God. But if we're going to change the world, bring justice, bring salvation, it's going to have to be God. But you know what? God's already been, he's already up for it. He's already called us as a people to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. He's already called you to something specific in your neighborhood, your job, your marriage, your family, your relationships, your non-marriage, your gift of singleness. Wherever you're at right now, God has a call for you. What's your question? Now, I was going to take a minute for you to talk to somebody next to you about what that is. We're going to instead sing. We're going to sing. We're going to dismiss you. But I'd still encourage you to talk to the person next to you about what you think God's call is. And if you're not sure just now, talk to them on the way home. Give them, give them a call. Um, talk to... Because... This is something we need to do together. You know, and Moses gets his call, but immediately it's to do what? To go talk to the elders and the Israelites and say, hey, this is what God wants me to do. 
What, what do you think? So I'd encourage you to do what God's calling you to do with his power, but also include some of the rest of us in it. Now, don't say, you all should do that. We all do need to do that together. So let's pray. Lord, I get why Moses was reluctant. Because when we really see what you want to do, it's way beyond what we can do. Who am I? And your answer is, I am with you. Lord, we want to be flowing in what you are doing. We want to be following your call in your power, in your ability. We want to be speaking your words with the mouth that you gave us. We want you to be with our mouth. We want you to be with our actions. We want to see miraculous things happening. Amazing love. God, there are some deep, dark things that we're in ourselves, that we're seeing, that we're groaning in. We need you. But we're willing. Make us willing to trust you and to follow you and to obey you so that you can do what you want to do with us. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to uh, come to the altar, and there will be some people from the prayer team to pray with you. If you want to pray about this, 20, 15, 20 minutes after this, we'll be back in the, I guess I thought it was maybe the prayer room, but I think we're going to be in the Noah's Ark room, it used to be called. There's no Noah's Ark there anymore, but the end of the hall. And uh, we'll be chewing on this a little more. Plenty left to chew on, as well as some pizza. So um, welcome there. Let me give you a benediction as we stand up, sing this song. But before, before we do that, let me, even if we don't have time to talk to each other, let me give you 30 seconds to just ask God, what's your call for me now? Lord, what's your call for me now, for us now? We're listening. Speak, Lord, and as we go out and keep asking that this week, speak. May not be a burning bush, maybe a hint, maybe quiet, maybe another year of shepherding without knowing for sure. But we want to not miss it because we're not listening, because we're caught up in our own. our own thoughts, our own media, our own um, agendas, our own schedule, our own budget. Lord, we, we want to be doing what you're doing and what you want to do through us. Amen. So go in the name of Yahweh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to fulfill
your call, to find your call and fulfill it with him as he goes with you. Amen.